0: That same year, the pagans came from the northern regions with a naval force to Britain like stinging hornets and spread on all sides like fearful wolves, robbed, tore and slaughtered not only beasts of bird and sheep and oxen, but even priests and deacons and companies of monks and nuns. And they came to the church of Lindisfarne, laid everything waste, with grievous plundering. Hello, my name is Eva, and welcome to part two of Lindisfarne and the Vikings. This time, we delve right into it, the Viking raid on Lindisfarne. Let us imagine ourselves standing on the north-east beach of Lindisfarne on the 8th day of June, 793. Around us, a few monks are miling about, some looking for seashells, while others hope to spot a strange bird in the sky so that they can copy it for their illustrated manuscripts of religious texts. Suddenly a monk exclaims, Look, look out there, he says in surprise. Out there, far out on the sea, ships are nearing. They are of no design seen before in these parts, long ships without a banner, filled with men unlike those of the northeast. It seems they have come from the northern seas, from those lands of pagan belief and mysterious rites. Lindisfarne is quite used to foreigners. After all, many of the monks residing at Lindisfarne were born in lands without winter, yet now they live on this windy coast of England. And towards this very coast now sail these ships with shields on the port and starboard side. Such men usually sail to Balmbora Castle, further down the mainland coast, but these seem to be heading right to the beach of Lindisfarne. And it is with consternation that you realize that these ships lie so shallow in the water that they can practically sail up to land. Now they are close. Now they are here. You can even see the blue in one man's eye as he and other shouting, laughing, bearded men jump ashore. One has a shield and sword another an axe, and yet a third a hammer. He is tall as a door and missing an eye. Halt! shouts a monk. You trespass on holy land. What brings you here? An elderly monk marches up to the men as he waves them aside, thinking they are rough, drifting traders bound for the south. But before the elderly monk can speak any further, he is struck down with one blow by an axe. And so it begins. Axes, hammers, swords are used for deadly purpose on those few frail monks about, while the young novice, young and strong, is captured and thrown onto the ship. The attackers then run up the rocky grassy ground, up towards the church of St. Cuthbert, the church built on the very spot that the blessed saint had been buried. The church so be hung by costly tapestries given by rich sinners and adorned with gold crucifixes. You yourself manage to hide behind a rock, and from there you witness utter destruction. Gold pieces are torn from the walls, and priceless tapestries are dragged behind the attackers as if they do not know their worth. Monks are pulled out of prayer to be slaughtered on the ground, while others are herded into groups and guarded by warriors with no sympathy. And none, not one of these attackers speaks the English tongue. Yet worse, far worse, they seem not to understand that this is Lindisfarne, the holiest of places. In shock, You watch as the most priceless of possessions, the religious manuscripts, are roughly handled by large men, who try to tear off the bejewelled covers and trample down the pages as if they meant nothing to them but dust and mud. Those not slain by sword are drowned in barrels, and those not drowned are carried off to the ships. The young and the healthy are fated for a life enslaved, in foreign lands where men respect neither cross nor chapel. It is a day where grief cannot find tears, but despair and horror paralyzes the soul in coldness and fear. News of the Viking raid on Lindisfarne soon spread. First to Bamborough Castle, of course, and from there the king's advisers took the news further south. In all of England, the news caused shock and a sense of impending doom, for many had already whispered of the omens seen earlier that year, or as a chronicler later recorded, terrible portents came about over the land of Northumbria and miserably frightened these people. These were immense flashes of lightning and dragons were seen flying in the air. A great famine immediately followed these signs, and a little after that, in the same year, on June 8th, the raiding of heathen men miserably devastated God's church in Lindisfarne by looting and slaughter. Such doom filled news passed from monastery to monastery by letter, and some of these letters reached the European continent by the late summer. And from the continent, Letters of shock and commiseration were sent back to English bishops and kings, like the well-known letter from Alcuin, a scholar born in seven thirty five in Northumbria, but who was in seven ninety three residing at the court of Charlemagne. when news of the calamity reached him, Alcuin composed a letter to Ethelred, the king of Northumbria. This letter. Which survives to this day, tells of Alcuin's horror at the news, but also his belief that the raid was divine retribution for lives lived far less Christianly than they should namely, the violent life of King Ethelred. You can look up this letter online, and what always strikes me about it is that it is actually not really a letter of gentle consolation after a disaster. It is more like an admonishment that such things as the raid are brought to bear when finery, vanity, and such thrive. What is evident, though, in Alcuin's letter and all contemporary writing about this particular raid was the fear it brought to bear because of the suddenness of the attack and the wanton destruction of the Vikings, and their Utter disdain for that which was considered so holy, Lindisfarne and its treasures, not least the graves of St. Aidan and St. Cuthbert. The raid signified to high born and low that there existed people in the world who would strike the place where two especially favored men of God rested. In the ancient world, and early modern period, place, as in physical place, had a hugely symbolic position in society. The shock of the Viking raid on Lindisfarne is also due to the fact that they vandalised the very soil on which St. Aidan and St. Cuthbert had walked, lived and died. Now, the power of the church was still in the early medieval period, on the rise. The church was still two hundred years away from wielding such manifest power as Pope Gregory the Seventh, who could let a humbled Holy Roman Emperor, Henry the Fourth, kneel before his residence in Canossa before the Pope would revoke the Emperor's excommunication. That show of power took place in ten seventy seven, But in 793, the church had no armies. They could not send out men to avenge wrongs, but they could unite the people against a common enemy. And contemporary sources tell of a surge of implorings and prayers as Europe became acquainted with the new northern dread. For the Lindisfarne raid was followed the next year, 794, By another attack in Northumbria, again a monastery, this time at Jarrow, a monastery made famous by the monk and scholar Bede, who composed the first history of the English people. And only eleven months later, in 795, the Vikings, who now seemed to appreciate the value of books and tapestries, made their presence felt on the shores of the island of Iona on the west coast of England, and there they ravaged, burned, and captured monks of St. Columbus Monastery, and they did so again in 802 and 806, after which the monastery was abandoned by the despondent monks. Viking raids Off-islands and coastal areas became a thing to dread during the cold, dark winters and to know as a real danger during the summer and spring. By 798, the Vikings slowly started to shift to raiding smaller villages further inland. And by 835, the Vikings moved south towards Anglia and Kent which is in the southeast of England, where they saw for themselves that those old stories, those old legends were true, for here they saw grassy green pastures where cows roamed aplenty. This spurred on the second desire which the Vikings had always nurtured, to find and settle on arable land. This was achieved by 865, when according to the Saxon Chronicles, the great heathen army, which was a coalition of Danish and Norwegian invaders, sailed to England to conquer. If any of you have seen the TV series Vikings, you will know that this great army was led by the sons of Ragnar Lodbrok, the legendary warrior and I use the term legendary in its literal and figurative meaning, for it is actually unclear whether this man, described as a Ragnar Lodbrok in the Norse sagas, ever existed. <laughs> but the heathen army did exist, and it did manage to conquer the northeastern city of York in 866. And so, from a sudden. Deadly and devastating raid on Lindisfarne in 793. The Vikings went from raiding to settling and stayed in England for the next 200 years until the Norseman Harald Sigurdsson was defeated by the English king, King Harold Godwinson, at the Battle of Stamford Bridge on the 25th of September, 1066. Most historians concur that this event marks the end of the Viking Age and Viking presence in England. Or does it? Because if you know British history, you will know that only a few weeks later, on the 14th of October 1066, William of Normandy defeated Harold Godwinson at the Battle of Hastings and this led to the Norman conquest. But William of Normandy, later known as William the Conqueror, was himself a descendant of Rollo, the Viking who founded Normandy. That is a part of Restless History for another time. I hope you liked this series. If yes, would you consider leaving a like wherever you get your podcasts? Because it really does help with the podcast algorithms of the world. Until next time, I have been Eva and thanks so much for listening.